Boston Confidential, Bean Towns, True Crime Podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail in Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back to Boston Confidential. My name is Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. And if I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you the best way I know how. All right, guys, for this week's case, we've got some, some more tough sledding to do. This is the abduction and murder of Molly Bish, which occurred in the year 2000. Not very long ago, but in terms of technology, it's, a, it's a definitely a world away. Uh, a little background. Most people in Massachusetts are familiar with the case of Molly Bish. Molly disappeared from Cummins Pond in Warren, Massachusetts, when she was 16. She disappeared on June 27, 2000. Feels like a lifetime ago, but I remember this case as it progressed. And it came on the heels of another missing girl in Western Massachusetts by the name of Holly Peranian, if you remember. Molly Bish actually has a pretty endearing connection to the Holly Peranian case. Put a pin in that, though, and I'll tell you about it as, as we progress or towards the end here. Molly was from Warren, Massachusetts. It's a very rural community in Worcester County, uh, far Worcester County. Warren is a beautiful community with a lot of farms and open space, and it's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from Boston. So it is what most Bostonians would call out there. But anything outside the 128 belt for Bostonians, I know, is the boonies, right? The Bishes moved to Warren in 1987 before Molly was born, but I believe they had other, other children at the time, they moved to the area from Detroit to escape some urban blight crime, that type of thing. And Maggie, the mother, I believe, was a stay-at-home mom. And John Bish was, I believe he was a probation officer in nearby Southbridge, Massachusetts. And at some point, I believe they were divorced. I don't know when this occurred or if this occurred post disappearance of Molly Bish. So I know John had a, a sterling reputation as a probation officer in Southbridge, Mass, and everybody who came into contact with him, whether they were cops or crooks, said he was a straight arrow. So he had a great reputation. Molly was born in Warren and went through the public schools there and had a ton of friends and seemed to be a bit of a straight arrow herself. She was 16 years old and she was on her first week of work for the summer at Cummins Pond, that's C-O-M-I-N-S, in Warren, Massachusetts, her hometown. The pond itself is actually pretty remote and you have to walk in through a gate and there's another way out through a cemetery, I believe, which is to the north there. But it is pretty isolated at Cummins Pond and you can pull up a Terrific picture of it on Google if you're curious. But 
Molly had just started this job. I believe she was on her first week. And on this day, her mother was driving her to the pond and getting her set up for um, lifeguarding. She had completed a lifeguarding certification sometime before following on the heels of her brother. And she wanted to follow in his footsteps and lifeguard for the summer. So she ended up getting a job with the town of Warren and was basically just in her first week. So I know I said that Molly Bish disappeared on June 27, 2000, but the story really begins the day before on June 26, 2000. Mrs. Bish, Molly's mother, was dropping Molly off for work at Cummins Pond and get, helping her get set up at her lifeguard post and all that. But as Maggie Bish pulled into the parking area, there was a lone male sitting in a white car smoking a cigarette and kind of just being creepy. And Mrs. Bish felt so strongly that this guy didn't belong there that she ended up getting into a crazy staring contest with this guy. And this guy wouldn't break his stare, wouldn't look away. You know, no nod, no smile, no, hey, oh, I'm just waiting for the, you know, little guppies class to start. My granddaughter's in it. Nothing. So Molly's mother hung around a little bit longer than she normally would with Molly, hoping this guy would leave. She didn't see him on the way out, but now had to depart and sees this gentleman now again in the parking lot. And they, they get into it again. And I'm sure she wishes she got a license plate number off this, but they ended up staring at each other and it wasn't a passing thing. This guy seemed aggressive, he seemed defiant, and he wanted to intimidate Molly's mother. But it was one of those situations where he really wasn't doing anything wrong, nothing criminal. In retrospect, I believe today you'd probably call the police, but even in a town like Warren, when nothing ever really happens, would you even do it today? I'm not sure. So she grudgingly leaves and goes up about her day and everything goes fine for Molly Bish. And the next day, they repeat their pattern. She drives Molly to work just before 10 a.m., I believe it was. And she looks around the parking lot and she does not see this white Buick. So problem solved, nothing to worry about. She ends up dropping Molly off, helps her set up her station and says goodbye. And Molly is due to begin her shift. She's the only lifeguard there. And Maggie Bish departs. Some hours later, parents start calling the town of Warren, say there's no lifeguard on duty, but there's, you know, the, the necklace that they wear with the keys on it and all that. But Molly's not to be found. There's no lifeguard. So I believe the local parks department probably thought she was just a typical teenage airhead and, you know, walked off and ha had a fight with her boyfriend, something juvenile that we've all probably been through. But after Molly doesn't show up for a few hours, they call mom, they call dad. And now things are getting serious because the sun's going down. So the police begin a search before it gets dark, encompassing the area of the pond. There is also a cemetery, which I believe is to the north. That's pretty rural, but that's also a way out of the area. You could take a road through the cemetery, and yes, you could drive a car down this path 
and depart the area that way. The other way is through the gate of the pond itself. And that's the way Molly's mother would have come in and out. So everybody is kind of losing their marbles on this. And I think they call it off a little bit during the nighttime, but by the next morning, the search widened and it intensified. It, this ended up becoming the largest and most expensive search for anybody in Massachusetts state history. They were on it pretty quickly. I, I have to give police credit. There was no time lost here saying, oh, was she, is she, could she possibly be a runaway? What, you know, we're going to mobilize all these people for nothing. No, they were right on it. They believed Mrs. Bish, the drop-off and now the mysterious disappearance. So that w definitely wouldn't have been a runaway situation. So good job by the Warren police, which is a small, tiny police force. And the Massachusetts State Police help out with uh, calls and backing up the Warren police in this area, but they do have their own small police department. So the immediate search of the pond area doesn't really reveal much, except Molly's items that she brought with her that were there, the lifeguarding equipment. She had a two-way radio, and it was all set up, getting ready to hit the stand right by the pond. So everybody was alarmed. This seemed to have been an abduction. One of the things that hampered the police in all of this is the extremely rural area. The pond, probably, I don't know, 25, 30 yards of sand, and then it's just kind of this dense forest. And it gets progressively worse as you get out of that area with the cemetery in it. So it was slow going for the searchers. And unfortunately, this case quickly went cold. I believe during this time frame, the police investigated, I don't want to say the usual suspects, but what they usually do in an investigation, you know, they go from the victim out. So mom, dad, brothers, there was a boyfriend involved with Molly for quite some time. They seemed to be pretty enamored with each other. I don't remember what happened with him. I think he was ruled out relatively quickly and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And hit me up at Barry at bostonconfidential.net if I am. I'd like to know that. I believe her boyfriend died pretty quickly after this. But they had no luck with the usual suspects. And they started going out from the family and friends. And this actually shocked the police because seven years prior in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, 10-year-old Holly Peranian disappeared in a similar fashion. She was going to look at puppies with her brother, I believe it was, and again disappeared into thin air. I think it took her quite some time to locate Holly, and everybody was afraid that Molly Bish would suffer the same fate. Now, if you remember, there was tremendous media interest in this case, but it was the time just before the internet exploded, and you know, things were still done by fax machine and the newspapers, really. This case was all over the newspapers, was on every evening newscast, and the police were pretty tight-lipped about the investigation. I believe there were immediate local suspects, but again, there wasn't much evidence. She was just gone. So you'd have to fast forward the clock a little bit to 2003, and unfortunately, it was at this time, May 2003, Molly's body was discovered about five miles away, about five driving miles away, but I believe it's about three miles as the 
crow flies, you know, if you go through the woods. It was kind of strange the way the discovery occurred because in late fall 2002, a hunter had spoken to a friend and said, I found a blue bathing suit while I was hunting, you know, up at Whiskey Hill. This guy contacts the police, but they, you know, the weather was so bad, they don't really get out there until May 2003. They go to the area where the bathing suit was found, and it was found to be Molly's bathing suit, and Molly was found nearby. So the Bishes did have a body to recover and, you know, place in consecrated ground. So some families don't get that, but this had to have been the hottest thing to ever come down the pike at the Bish family. So the Bish family gets the worst news parents and family can ever get, that your daughter or your sister is not coming home. And it was horrible, and it it shook the whole region. I mean, Warren is far from Boston, but we felt it here, and everybody was crying out for justice. And in the news, they were tying these cases to the Peranian murder, you know, sometime prior. So people were on edge over this one. The police were hoping that they'd be able to get some workable DNA. Remember, DNA was in a different stage back in the early 2000s as well. But they were hoping to get some DNA from her clothing and maybe other items found nearby. They may have, but that information was never released. And the police kept working it. There seemed to be a revolving door of suspects until about 2009. And that's when, when this case started getting some traction, I believe. Okay, so 2009... The police get a little bit of a break in this case, and it came from Florida. So what happened was a gentleman by the name of Rodney Stanger, S-T-A-N-G-E-R, he was a Florida resident. He was charged with murdering his girlfriend. His girlfriend was named Crystal Morrison. But what brought Florida police to contact the Massachusetts State Police was the fact that for the majority of his life, Mr. Stanger lived in Southbridge, Massachusetts, which is just a few miles from the town of Warren. So in the interim between the time when Molly's body was found and this break with Rodney Stranger, the police were still working the case. And Molly's mother had actually worked with a renowned forensic artist, and her name is Jean Boland. She is an all-star because she had constructed a sketch, a suspect sketch. I've never seen a better sketch done. When this guy, Rodney Stranger, came on to the radar, this sketch looks just like Rodney Stanger. I can't believe it. I've never seen a better sketch. It looks like he sat for opposing. This sketch is so accurate. I'm telling you, this is the guy. She did an excellent job providing this information to the sketch artist, Gene Bowen. But you have to look this photograph up. Look for a picture of Rodney Stranger and then look at the wanted poster and put them side by side. There's several ways to do this online and they'll just come up for you. Just Google Rodney Stranger poster and it'll come right up. It is identical. It doesn't look like him. It is identical to him. That's the guy. Actually, the best comparison is a photograph of Rodney Stranger's FID card 
which was found in his house after he committed murder, and the forensic drawing by Bolin. So look at those, the FID card and the wanted poster. It's amazing. So the police do some further research into Stranger, and he was just a strange guy. He had lived in Southbridge for quite some time. And as nice of a town that Warren is, Southbridge is unfortunately the opposite. It's a tough town. It's kind of run down. Even then, it's not a nice place to live. Let's leave it at that. But Stranger would sell dogs, and if he didn't get the price he wanted, he'd kill the dogs on his property, and his neighbors hated him for it. And he'd just do these types of strange things. But he did have friends, and he was known as a hunter and an outdoorsman. And the areas he hunted in were the Whiskey Hill section, where Molly Bish was ultimately found. And he also fished at Cummins Pond in Warren. So... He knows this area, he knows the pond, he knows the dumping ground. So here's Mr. Stranger. Let me tell you a little bit about what was found at the mobile home that he was living in in Florida with this woman. This woman had said to her sister that she was going to leave Rodney Stranger, and she believes that that precipitated this murder. But she also believes that Stranger was, in fact, involved in those murders She's including Holly Peranian, this Molly Bish and Holly Peranian. So that's a mind blower. So she believed that Stranger was involved in both of those murders and was ready to tell the authorities. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, I'm going to tell you what was found in Stranger's trailer after he committed the horrific murder of Crystal Morrison. Let's hit that break and I'll get right back at it. Are you a local or international law firm that needs accurate, comprehensive, and timely background investigations and litigation support? Let Impact Due Diligence Investigations do the legwork. If there's information you need for a case, we'll find it. When you need to know, call Impact. Visit us at impactduediligence.com. Okay, guys, we're back. All right, I just wanted to tell you what was found in Rodney Stranger's mobile home. He lived in Florida with Crystal Morrison, who he viciously murdered. And Crystal's sister goes down. Her name's Bonnie Kiernan. And there's a pretty good article about this in the Worcester Telegram. She goes down. Nothing seems to have been, you know, broken into or anything. But there's these strange things, strange items around the house. All these little girl items, hair combs, barrettes, hair ties, just a strange number of them. He didn't have any kids. He didn't visit nieces, nephews. He was basically an outcast. What's he doing with all these girly things, right? And I know they tested him for DNA, and we would have heard if something was connected. So I don't think that was, but it's just strange, right? The state police go down and interview this guy in Florida, and he basically plays Jimmy the Dunce, right? He doesn't know anything, doesn't... but. They always go too far. He says, no, I don't I don't go hunting at Whiskey Hill. No, I've never been to Cummins Pond. The detectives had already spoken to his friends who knew that, yeah, he went hunting in Whiskey Hill where Molly Bish was found. He went fishing. They all did. They went together at Cummins Pond in Warren. It's a community. Everybody knows everybody. So why lie about these little small things? I think we know why. Look at those pictures and you'll know why Rodney Strang is lying. According to Fox 25 News, 
In November 2013, a private investigator hired by the family, a well-known PI, Tom Shamshack, he's a retired police chief and pretty well-respected in the industry, developed something that puts Molly Bish and Ronnie Stranger pretty close together. P.I. Tom Shamshack did an excellent job with this. He retraced Molly's footsteps, everything she would have had to done, and then laid it over where he knew Rodney Stranger was at these times. At a certain time, they intersected in Southbridge, Massachusetts. It was just before, in the weeks or months before, the murder where Molly had to go to Southbridge in order to take the tests for her certification to become a lifeguard. And Shamshack places Rodney Strangle living just three-tenths of a mile apart. That's just a few blocks. The YMCA was on 47 Everett Street in Southbridge, and Strangle was living just a few blocks away on Everett Street. So I think the implication here is, and this could possibly have happened, where Stranger sees Molly at the facility where she gets her certification and gets to chatting as predators like to do. And he knows that they do lifeguard certification there. All he has to say is, well, hey, my niece is going to be a, a lifeguard at Houghton's Pond in Milton this year. Where are you going to be? Are you taking your certification today? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in Warren, Massachusetts. And it, this would be a three-second informational transaction. He goes about his way. And now he knows that the lifeguarding season is going to start shortly, and she works at the only pond in Warren, Cummins Pond, right? So that's what I believe is being set up in this story. And it was actually on Fox 25, if you want to read it. It's actually some pretty good work. And interestingly, the story goes on a little bit longer. John Bish had a part-time job at Harrington Hospital in Southbridge on the weekends, and he would drop Molly off to her certification class and they would, you know, either walk to me or I'll come pick you up. But she was definitely walking that neighborhood. So Shamshack says there's a coffee shop right there that Molly frequented when she was waiting for her dad. So this is a, a decent theory. I'm kind of surprised in this case with the recent development of DNA and how that's all going. I thought maybe this would have been solved already. Maybe there isn't enough DNA, or maybe there isn't any DNA. But I do believe Rodney Strang is the guy here. But I'm going to tell you about another suspect because nobody's ever been caught for it. And he kind of fits the profile as well. Okay, so I remember Stranger as being named a suspect during this investigation. This other one I, I hadn't remembered. This gentleman's name is Gerald Bastoni. 52, well, he was 52 in 2018 when the story was written. But this guy has a strange background. I don't really know how he came upon the scene, but he had been serving time for rape. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Okay, the allegations against this guy was, according to the witnesses, he returned the next day, and they mean the next day after the murder. This guy, Bastoni, returned to the area at about 8.30 a.m. He had been missing the day of the abduction. But when he returns at 8.30 a.m. on the day after the abduction, his face was bloodied and scratched. At this time, Bastoni was staying in West Brookfield in an old campground. And West Brookfield is just miles, just a few miles from where Molly was taken. He did know the area. 
So I don't know. That's a crazy time to come up scratched and bleeding, right? So Bastoni returns and he's screaming about something bad happening in the woods. And I'm assuming he's talking about why he's bloodied and beaten, basically. So he's got scratches on him. He's bleeding. And then about six months later, he was overheard bragging that he knew that he was a person of interest in Molly's case, but he had never been interviewed. And this comes from uh, another private investigator named Stein, who was working with the family in the Mass State Police. I guess it's good to have another suspect on the horizon, but I'm not entirely sure. If you look at the photographs of Rodney Stranger, right, and you compare them to the wanted poster, that's your guy. That's the guy Mrs. Bish saw when she dropped her daughter off. Salt and pepper hair, crazy thick mustache. And people are saying, I see this online, they're, they're saying that this Bastoni also fits that profile, you know, if he had that big mustache. I don't know. Rodney Stranger looks to me like the person in that drawing, and I can't get past it. And I don't know why we need to. I think Rodney Stranger is your guy here. But some DNA would be nice. Hopefully some of that will be coming sometime soon. All right, so Gerald Bastoni, the second suspect, in this case, died in 2014 at the Shattuck Hospital in Jamaica Plain. And if you're dying, believe me, the Shattuck is not the place you want to be. In 2017, there were some advances in genetic testing. And Joe Early, the Worcester County DA, sent all the items down for retesting. I believe the district attorney said he was cautiously optimistic at that point because there had been such advances in DNA but I hadn't heard anything new on that. In 2019, I heard of some new testing done by a place called Parabon Labs. And last I heard, they have all of this information and had been testing it. But I just pray that these items come back or somebody comes up with a guilty conscience because I'm not sure if Holly Peranian in this case are linked, but just focusing on this case, man, do the Bish family they really deserve a break here, and I hope they get it soon. And for his part, Rodney Stranger is currently in prison. Rodney Stranger is serving a 25-year sentence in a Florida prison. He'll never get out. And he's not looking too good from the pictures I've seen of him in the newspaper. But let him rot, I guess. I hope he gives it up. I hope he gives up the ghost before he passes away and has some shred of decency in him but I don't think he does. All right, guys, that was just two of the suspects. There are others. These two, like I said, Ronnie Stranger in that photograph matching the wanted poster and this new guy, Bastoni, they seem to be the best fit. So I'm going to leave you there with this. We're also going to do an episode on the Holly Peranian murder, which some say is likely connected to this case. I'm not sure it is. Email me and let me know what you think. Maybe you can go back and forth. Barry at bostonconfidential.net. And other than that, guys, have a great weekend. And I'll get back with you soon. Bye.